Welcome to the Brew Crew Review Podcast, the show by fans or fans of your Milwaukee Brewers. Welcome back to the Brooker Review Podcast. My name's Craig, and joining me today is my co-host, uh, Vince Trovato. Vince, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Craig. Happy New Year. Are we, uh, is Scott or Chad coming on here today? Um, not sure about that. I, I know Scott's still um, probably intoxicated and wallowing in the Packers season-ending uh, loss in heartbreaking fashion once again. So he may not be joining us for that reason, but um, got it. Anyway, Chad, though, I'm not sure. Well, you know what, you know what, Craig? For me, that means it's time to talk some baseball. So uh, I'm pretty excited to be talking baseball with you here in a, a brand new year, uh, and, and in January itself. You know, as the winter is uh, hopefully coming to an end, and spring will be upon us hopefully sooner rather than later. It's time to talk some baseball. Spring training starts in a few weeks. Absolutely. All right. Well. Um, it's been a pretty quiet off season um, so far for the Brewers and a lot of baseball for that matter. A lot of the top free agents still haven't signed. Not expecting or holding my breath for the Brewers to sign any of the real top guys. But with that being said, we've made very minimal moves. Um, so we can talk about that a little bit later in the podcast, but we want to kind of do a little bit of a tribute podcast to baseball legend and Milwaukee icon, um, Hammer and Hank Aaron, who unfortunately passed away this past week at the age of 86. So that's what we're going to dedicate most of this podcast to. Also, uh, Vince, you also want we wanted to mention uh, passing another. Yeah, it was a tough baseball week for, led for, Hall of Famer Don Sutton. Also, yeah, yeah, a tough week for baseball fans and, and Brewer fans in particular. And you know, obviously Hank had a bigger impact probably in Milwaukee, just given the number of seasons that he played and given his status in the game. But I do think it's worth mentioning. Um, that, you know, Hall of Famer and former Milwaukee Brewer pitcher Don Sutton did pass away as well. He was acquired by the Brewers at the trade deadline in 1982, pitched uh, incredibly well down the stretch for Milwaukee, winning a clutch game in Baltimore to, to, to allow the Brewers to make the playoffs and did pitch for the team uh, 1983 and 1984 seasons as well. So um, we're, we're saddened to, to hear the news of both, but I, before we get into Hank, I at least wanted to mention that Don Sutton had also passed away, um, and they passed away within a couple of days of each other. So quite a, quite a week. And, of course, the acquisition of Don Sutton was instrumental for the Brewers' run to their first and only World Series appearance back in 1982. So, of course, um, he's near and dear to many Brewer fans' hearts because of that. So, again, a sad week for Milwaukee baseball overall and definitely the world overall uh, with the passing, of course, of Hank Aaron, who is really a cultural icon beyond even his baseball icon status. Yep. I guess for so many reasons, I guess, you know, none of us, you know, got to see him play in a Milwaukee Brewer uniform. Um, However, I mean, uh, he, he was really so instrumental in Milwaukee baseball after his career. And I kind of feel that even without the existence of Hank Aaron and uh, his role in the Braves, which really made a young Bud Selig, a Milwaukee resident, a huge fan 
That was, I believe that was Bud Sillick's favorite player. They're about the same age. Yep, it was. And uh, I think that was really instrumental in Bud's love for baseball and him wanting to bring a team back to Milwaukee after the Milwaukee Braves left. And I, I kind of feel without that, his existence, that there may not even be baseball in Milwaukee. So I, I really feel that that's kind of owed to the legend of Hank Aaron in some ways. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point about Felix Craig. I didn't even think about that and and his impact on one particular guy who was you know so persistent and and really did do everything that he could do and ended up succeeding and bringing a team back to Milwaukee after the the Braves had left. And uh, five seasons five seasons later, there's big league baseball back in Milwaukee again and and kept the team in Milwaukee in the '90s when there was debate over the stadium. And uh, you know, you're right. I think on that count with Bud, and I also think that. With Hank Aaron's role on that team in 1957, bringing baseball, uh, bringing a baseball world championship to the city of Milwaukee was the first time that a team in uh, Milwaukee had won a world championship in anything. Uh, Hank Aaron really created a, a whole slew of devoted fans, which, yes, they were probably embittered by the Braves leaving, of course, in 1964, but they also became baseball fans, and they would later hopefully become Brewer fans, and it really gave uh, baseball kind of a, 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 a what I'll call a, a birth in the city of Milwaukee to a degree in the sense that you know whenever you have a city that experiences a championship uh, you're going to create legions of fans who are who are going to be loyal to the game for generations and you know I've heard it talked about by people like my dad's age and maybe a little older that got a chance to see Hank play when they were kids for the Milwaukee Braves and you know they're still talking about it all these years later I mean this was 1957 was the Braves world championship and it's still being talked about all these years later. And um, Hank led the team along with Eddie Matthews and other great players, Warren Spahn and, 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 you know, a whole slew of great characters. But with Hank at the top of that list led the team to a world championship in 57 and uh, another world series uh, in 1958 as well. And um, really cemented himself as the, the, the top player, I think on that team, um, certainly offensively and, and, you know, one of the best players in baseball history. And he did it all in Milwaukee uh, when he started his career. He was a rookie with the Braves in 1954, uh, played with the Braves their entire, uh, that entire time, um, ended up until he was, until he was traded back to Milwaukee to play his last two seasons with the Brewers in 1975 and 1976. But, you know, overall he played uh, in Milwaukee from 54 to 65 with the Braves and 75 and 76 with the Brewers. That's a lot of years in Milwaukee. Uh, where Milwaukee fans got to see one of the best players uh, to ever wear a uniform. Absolutely. Um, and I know you had mentioned earlier, yeah, he actually started off his entire, wasn't it, his entire baseball career. I mean, he was from the South, born in the South and raised there, but he did start off his entire baseball career. It wasn't up in a, a team in Eau Claire. It was. Uh, well, he did play, he played one season in the Negro Leagues. Uh, I believe it was for Indianapolis. And uh, the Negro League at that time were were becoming a defunct league because there was more integration that was finally taking place after Jackie broke broke the uh, color barrier in 1947. But Hank did play one season in the Negro Leagues, and then he uh, went to Eau Claire, um, where he played ball. So he got to experience life <laughs> up north and uh, for the first time, and, and he happened to do that in Wisconsin as well. So he really does have a lot of Wisconsin connections. And, you know, people were talking uh, this week, and, and Mark Adonazio, I think, had put out a statement. Hank had made a point to come back to Milwaukee uh, at least once a season, sometimes more, um, was still involved with the Brewers, was still obviously at his number retired, but was still involved with the team, uh, its charities, had still come back for events. Uh, he had been at his own Wall of Honor dedication, his own statue dedication. 
Um, and his son, uh, Larry Aaron, is uh, still a scout with the Milwaukee Brewers as well. So, I mean, the, the connections between Hank Aaron and Milwaukee are, are, are eternal. I mean, that is a, it is a longstanding love affair between, uh, you could say, the entire state of Wisconsin and, and Hank Aaron. Absolutely. Um, and he broke into the big leagues in 1954 um, with the Milwaukee Braves at the ripe age of 20. And he actually, uh, you know, then retired as a Milwaukee Brewer, as you point out, in 1976 at the age of 42 as a Milwaukee Brewer. I mean, that's quite a long career. Um, yeah. 23 seasons. Um, the, the, the biggest thing with Hank is his just overall consistency. I mean, he was just a consistently great player. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure he hit between like 30 and 45 home runs almost every season of his career, and it was just that longevity. Um, yep. You know, he, he won several MVPs, um, or actually it was his only MVP season in 1957, but finished in the top five MP, MVP voting almost every year of his career. Yeah. Yep, one MVP. And, and one of those stats, to, to get to your point about consistency, that really – really stands out to me as I look over his his uh, career line he was an all-star in 2021 20, of his 23 seasons I mean it's just incredible absolutely incredible he did he, so I mean that just shows you how on top of the game he was for all of those years and when you think about all the great players that played in the National League during the years that Hank Aaron was there everyone ranging from Willie Mays to Roberto Clemente to you know pick your pick your great outfielder that played between 1954 and 1976 the the fact that Hank Aaron was at the top of the list uh, with these guys, I mean, what a, what a treat for baseball fans and, and Milwaukee in particular to be able to watch him play all those years in his prime uh, is just incredible. Absolutely. I, I believe he still um, holds a, the record for most RBIs in a career and also the most total bases. Um, and again, that just comes from that consistency of so many seasons. And you point out that 21 all-star appearances. I mean, that's, how many guys can even say they played 20 years of professional baseball period? <laughs> 20 years I mean, of major Jesus, leagues crazy. being all-star. I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable. It, it is nuts. And uh, yeah, Hank Aaron's 2,297 uh, career RBIs. That, that is definitely an all-time record. And so is 6,856 total bases uh, is what the interns are telling me here uh, for, for Hank on his career. It's, it is truly incredible. And, you know, to, to add in, uh, just uh, to the glory of his numbers, he actually won three cold gloves uh, as well. So just to, to add to all of his offensive attributes, the guy could play some defense as well. Over 3,700 um, career hits too. Um, so it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. He's hands down top 10 baseball player of all time. And in my mind, in my mind is top five for sure. Um, the interesting thing, yeah, I, people don't know, yeah. Or I shouldn't say people don't know about Hank, but obviously he did um, eclipse Babe Ruth's home run record um, back in 1970. Was it the 74 season, 73, 74 season, I believe? Um, I think it was 74. Yeah, I think it was the first week of the 74 season. 74 season, yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, before Hank, obviously Babe Ruth was kind of a you know larger than life legend in baseball, and I mean he remains to be this day or whatever. But um, that record he held, I mean he was like kind of a men among boys during his era, um, so to speak. Um, and that and he had that legendary status and that home run uh, all-time home run mark for better part of the entire century until Hank uh, threatened to break it. 
And uh, one of the things that maybe not everyone nowadays realizes, but this was almost 50 years ago when he broke, was chasing and broke that record, ended his career with uh, 755 home runs. Of course, that's been since eclipsed by Barry Bonds. Uh, but he did hold that, right. I believe, for 34, 34 years. But um, a lot of people don't realize that there was actually quite a lot of people in the United States of America that did not want him to break that record, that church record. Of, uh, and he got a lot of hate mail and a lot of death threats yep. been, um, in the time that he was chasing that in the 1973 and, like you said, the first week of 74 season. And he kind of had to endure all that. Uh, all that. And one yeah. thing I actually read about is he got so few letters of congratulation or of encouragement that he actually personally responded to every single positive letters that he received. Wow. I I didn't realize he responded to all those letters, you know, personally, but you know, you're you're spot on with talking about the amount of pressure that he faced. Just, you know, consider the pressure that you would face just as a baseball player or as an athlete. Um and then you couple that with, you know, the the other types of pressures that he faced both societally and, um, you know, racist elements and, and you know, you, you had a, and, and, you know, to me, he's, he's such a class act. I mean, when he was talking about that situation, he, he had a great quote that I've always remembered. And I say this as a guy who loves Babe Ruth. I've always loved Babe Ruth. And I think that he is the guy that uh, should be remembered as his own version of a cultural icon, but Hank had a great quote about it. He said, you know, I, I don't want anybody to forget about Babe Ruth. I just want them to remember me. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was used, his, his race against the Babe was used as a lever by, you know, you could say racist elements, uh, racist people to, to, to try to, you know, keep the record in the hands of someone who was, you know, white, I guess, is, is, to, to put it bluntly. But, you know, Hank, yeah. Hank handled this with such grace and with such, uh, with such respect for the game and um, in a way that wasn't confrontational in a bad way, but was confrontational in a good way. Meaning on the field, he, he, was, he was dedicated to perfecting his craft. He did it over such a long period of time, like we talked about. He, he just silently went about his business in so many ways, and he was able to do great things. And, and he did it both within the game and well, we'll say is without the game, like brought more broadly than just baseball too. I mean, it, he, he was a guy who changed the country for the better in many ways. And, you know, a few years, I heard a, an interview with um, Al Downing, former uh, pitcher for, well, the Dodgers at the time when he gave up the home run, uh, later pitched for the Brewers as well. But Downing gave up the, you know, number 715 to Hank Aaron and was the pitcher on the mound. And they asked Downing about, you know, his, his experiences with Hank and, and kind of what he was feeling with it at that time but the the thing that stuck out to me was that that he pointed out was that during uh the game when hank broke babe ruth's record it was 19 what do we say 74 yeah. i mean we're talking about only a couple of years after segregation ended in the south and he was struck by how hank aaron was able to to, to rise above all of the the negativity that surrounded you know the pursuit of babe ruth and um, to break that record and got a standing ovation in the heart of the deep South um, at a time when that was not common. And, and really what Hank's feet did was to, I think, make people more aware of the fact that, you know, this was a man that was, that was at the top of his game that deserves respect. And it was a real milestone, I think, for race relations in the South in many ways. And I, I don't mean to overstate it, but I don't think it should be understated either. I think that what he did was, was truly uh, something that may have changed people's minds about, 
you know, something as important as race relations at a time when the country wasn't used to that yet. Absolutely. And it's almost sad that this is 50 years, we're, we're nearing out the 50 year anniversary of that, uh, of, of, of course, that 1974 season, a couple or 47 years beyond that. Um, and it still seems that there's just like this still hateful resentment in the country as we've seen obviously in parts of the last year. But um, one, one thing I didn't want to point out, and I know Vince, you, you lived in DC for quite a while um, yourself, um, but um, I actually visited, um, I just wanted to point this out as one of my favorite Hank Aaron memories because obviously I didn't get to see him play either. But um, when I was in Washington, D.C., they, of course, have the Smithsonian Museums there. And uh, walking throughout them, one of them had a Hank Aaron exhibit, a baseball exhibit, but highlighted case about Hank Aaron. Yeah. And then it highlighted two letters um, explaining the story of when, you know, Hank Aaron did break Babe Ruth's record. And one of the records was an example of, I'm sure, of just a number of just an unbelievable amount of hateful letters sent to him saying, you know, using the N-word a lot and saying, you, sh you better not break this record and, you know, uh, all this stuff. And so I wrote, wrote the entire letter someone wrote to him that was just completely hate-filled. And it, it was just disgusting, especially targeted a man that just does not deserve it in any way, shape, or form. Um, Obviously, someone who never met him, never knew him, just saw him as a threat to, you know, this iconic figure um, or his, his iconic record. And it was really sad. But next to that letter, it was juxtaposed with another letter that I believe was sent from a, a Wisconsin fan of the Milwaukee Braves. Um, and it was sent to Hank Aaron that same year during his chase. And after reading this letter, I, I literally... Honest God brought me to tears um, after reading it, especially right after reading the hateful letter. And this was a, a letter of encouragement that was written to Hank Aaron saying how much he loves baseball because of Hank Aaron, how he's been his favorite player his entire career and how much he's pulling for him and how, how bad he feels he has to go through what he's going through. And that he said that he had just had his, this, the, the author of this letter, a baseball fan, that said he had just had his uh, first son and he had named him Aaron in honor of Hank. And um, yeah. it was, it was a pretty incredible and powerful letter. And, and it just shows you um, that in spite of all these people that are filled with hate for whatever reason, um, that there are so many good people that are, you know, that are filled with the opposite of that and, and really cherish people, um, you know, yeah. So, yeah, for who they are as powerful, who they are as, people, it's still, as people. I saw this at the Smithsonian yep. like ten years ago, or so, so or more. Um, but uh, it may still be there. I'm not sure, but I'm sure there's there's also awesome exhibits, of course, for Hank Aaron at the Hall of Fame if you ever get a chance to visit there. But you know, just yep. real, really powerful stuff, and it, it really shed some light into you know what Hank had gone through. And of course, for those listeners of ours that haven't heard the story, but you've probably all seen the iconic shot uh, video and the, uh, the television broadcast that night of when he did um, hit that home run off um, Al Downing to give him 715 break Babe Bruce 400, I mean, 714 record. Um, and there was a couple of fans that ran out on the field. Um, and again, I think there was a quote from Hank saying that he was actually kind of scared for his safety and there was increasing security. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how they got on the field, but they were just, patting him on the back and whatnot as he rounded third base. 
Luckily, that wasn't a threat of any kind. But after he crossed home plate, he his mother gave him a bear hug, met him at home plate, and gave him a huge bear hug. And she actually had to tell the media that she, the reason she gave him that bear hug was to protect him from snipers, which is just it's unbelievable. You know, Hank, Hank himself had a great quote about that moment, uh, Craig. He, uh, <laughs> I remember very, very directly. He said, I never knew that my mother could hug so tight. <laughs> that was his quote about that moment. And uh, I just, you know, think back to what, what again, what the country was like, what he did just on the field. There's just so many reasons to love a guy like Hank Aaron, what he was able to do. And you know what, there's a reason why um, I think I saw a statement from just about every uh, president or ex-president in the last couple of days um, about Hank, ranging from Jimmy, President Carter to, you know, current President Biden to President George W. Bush, they they all had statements, and Bill Clinton, they all had statements about Hank Aaron. It just tells you the impact that uh, this guy had when you had, you know, like four or five former presidents or current pres- the current president uh, making statements uh, about him and what a great man that he was, what a what a model citizen that he was, and uh, what he did in a positive sense to to change the country and. Um, on a personal note, I did get the opportunity to meet him one time, uh, and it was uh, very quick, and it was just because uh, I was getting autographs uh, outside Milwaukee County Stadium, and I was actually with our friend and, and former co-host, uh, Junebug, Nick Zeno, and we were kids. We were, I think, in middle school at the time, and and uh, it was an October day, and the Brewers weren't playing, but in fact, it was the groundbreaking ceremony for Miller Park, and they brought in some Brewers legends, and Hank Aaron actually showed up for the ceremony to do one of the first shovelfuls of dirt along with Bud Selig and Robin Yount and a few others. And uh, I just happened to be lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. And I actually got Hank to sign a baseball for me that day. Um, that I of course still have, and he was there, he was walking with his wife and uh, he was walking back to the players parking lot at the old County stadium. And we got a chance. So I didn't meet him in a sense of like I talked to him for, you know, minutes or hours, but it was, a quick interaction, but I at least got a chance to, to get him to sign a baseball in person and, and cherish that memory, of course. And, you know, it was, it was one of my, my childhood highlights, quite frankly. Uh, he, Hank Aaron was very well loved and respected uh, in our family. My dad being a, uh, old enough to have seen the Milwaukee Braves play, as I mentioned before, and the stories were so constant in our house about, you know, Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews and Warren Spahn. My brother, actually, he wore number 44 when he played baseball, even through high school, in honor of Hank Aaron. He named his bat the Hammer and Hank, so after after Hank as well. So, I mean, his influence was certainly felt in, in, in our family, but even more broadly speaking, for the community and for the country. Um, I think you just see it manifesting itself a lot this week, and saw the pictures of the statue at Miller Park of Hank Aaron, and um, the flowers, the the pins, the things that were put there—it was like a shrine, and in in many ways, it is. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome story, Vince. And no, it really just shows that a little a bright light went out in the world this week when when we lost Hank Aaron. Um, so it is sad, and and again, he'll be remembered forever in Milwaukee for you know his awesome baseball career, and like you said, everything that he did, you know, off the field as well, and just the type of human being that he was. So. Um, yep. And, and to get a little bit more into the on-field stuff, you know, we talked about, about some of his career numbers to talk about the Brewers more specifically. He obviously only spent, you know, two years back in Milwaukee at the end of his career with the Brewers. So his numbers were down, you know, compared to what Hank Aaron uh, was used to putting up. He was near retirement, but 
Um, he still did make an all-star game uh, as a brewer. And uh, I think this is the only time that it's happened in brewers history. And I don't know of another example in major league baseball history, but the last day of the season in 1976 was Hank Aaron's final game. And his number was retired after the game. Wow. Like he was, he was still an active player up until the moment that his number was retired. So uh, I don't know of another baseball player where that's happened, where he literally, you know, plays in the game and then his, his numbers retired. I, I just don't know. Maybe there is, but I have not um, heard that. Well, wow. yeah, but but his number was retired after the final game of the '76 season, and uh, and and just because I like arcane bits of Brewers trivia, his number was the uh, was the first number officially retired by the Brewers as well. So um, obviously, there's been others that have joined him since then, but Hank was the first uh, Brewers retired number. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, such a loss for the world in, in the Milwaukee baseball. But, um, yeah, speaking of, uh, I guess, kind of wrapping up that tribute to, to Hank here, and I know Scott wanted to be on really to give his version of, yeah. of his he, he loved Hank here and like, not, not like no one else. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully maybe he can chime in next time he's able to join the podcast. Um, but um, we did yeah. talk a little bit about the current state of the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, I don't know, like, definitely looking forward to the 2021 season. I mean, it was great for the baseball season of 2020 to ha- somehow happen in spite of the pandemic that was going on. Um, but, wow, it was a difficult couple of months waiting with no baseball <laughs> last spring and into the summer yeah. before they finally kicked it off. But uh, this season, it's really exciting to not know that you're not, we're not going to most likely have to wait that long. And that, as it stands right now, the season is set to start, um, you know, a normal time, and hopefully get the whole 162-game schedule in. With that said, yep. um, the Brewers' financials, I'm sure, took a huge hit in 2020, as, as did everyone in baseball and throughout the world, really. But uh, um, I think it's having a, an effect on what the Brewers had planned on possibly doing this offseason. Um, and... Uh, Kind of wanted to, one thing that has happened since our last podcast, uh, we did uh, offer a major league contract um, to a utility middle infielder, um, and uh, I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> Never heard of half of these guys. Um, uh, wasn't it that was it Nate Robertson? Yeah, that's right, David Robertson. David so okay. of, of the, you know, he, he's still, you know, in his baseball prime in his late twenties and coming from the devil rays, he never really got a chance to play every day there. And he can play every yeah. infield position, including field position. Yeah. So um, I think he's going to be just that utility type guy, but I mean, if I don't know what our plan is for third base. Uh, <laughs> no one does. I, you know, Craig. I, I, uh, I know we're supposed to know these things because we're hosting a Brewers podcast. But like I said, I forgot his first name. To be totally honest, I, I do know that he fits into the mold of Stern's uh, types. You know, in the sense that he can play multiple positions and uh, seemingly did not have a great year last year, uh, much like what we tried to do last season. So I don't know that we've done much to upgrade ourselves um, at this point. I mean, you could argue that our, you know top free agent Jed Jorko is still out there on sign and we haven't re-signed him. So it seems like we've almost become worse uh, so far in the off season. I hope I'm wrong, but um, did your, did our anonymous source, Tom Carter mention anything to you about kind of Stearns just being patient, letting the market play out and trying to get guys on, 
on perhaps a better deal financially as 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 you mentioned a lot of teams right now are not spending money on free agents it seems like there's been a handful of very active teams and a bunch of teams that haven't done anything you know outside of uh, maybe the Padres and the Mets and the White Sox and the Rays like I don't know who's doing much this offseason so maybe maybe Stearns is playing a waiting game or Matt Arnold's playing a waiting game uh, right now as, as players come to terms with the fact that they may be getting a little less due to COVID uh, did our anonymous source Tom Carter mention anything to you yeah I think that's pretty much spot on and and TC again he likes to be called uh, he prefers not, not to mention his first or last name. So try to keep that in mind for future stuff, Vince. Um, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, TC pretty much said that uh, this year may be a little bit like, was it the 2018 offseason? When, when we kind of at the last, toward the end of the um, offseason, kind of got a bargain by being able to sign Yasmani yeah, Grandel to a one-year deal. And he, yeah. he said, don't be surprised if they make one one-year signing like that if, 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 again, someone, it comes down to, um, you know, getting closer to spring training um, and some guys are on sign. So, again, he's there, I think he's kind of laying in the weeds. But with that being said, I, I don't, I'm not expecting – looking at who's out there and our positions of need as free agents, I don't think there's any big name at third base that's going to be able to sign a one-year deal. Um, the one name that I know we talked about a little bit that – most likely will sign with someone as a third baseman, even though he's been a shortstop for much of his career. And that's Marcus Simeon. Um, yep. Still out there. And he could play third base, but I really feel that he probably will end up with a different team. I hate to be the Debbie Downer, but that's just my, my gut feeling <laughs> is that he'll be he'll hey, so, your contract. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. Uh, so I know that when the off season first started, we had talked in our podcast about, uh, the possibility of the Brewers trading Josh Hader, I've heard next to nothing about that so far this offseason. Uh, do you think that there's still a possibility that the Brewers trade Hader uh, the next few weeks? I mean, as we tape this, it's, what, January 24th, and um, spring training starts in a few weeks. I mean, we're yeah, really like coming three, up on three plus it. weeks, and it's pitchers and catchers, which really gets me excited. But yeah. it's kind of concerning. <laughs> I, I really don't think even though it was our initial thought, I think Josh Hader made sense to trade him this offseason. I think that he's now more of a trade deadline candidate because uh, that way yeah. teams can ascertain where they stand this year and whether or not they want to go for a World Series run. And usually requiring a, a, a reliever of his magnitude really can push a contending team over the top. So I think he makes a lot of sense and you probably get a better package for him, you know, at a trade deadline. And now there's, Obviously, some risk involved with that. You know, you never know with injury histories uh, or even just attrition with right. receivers sometimes, um, you know, what if we're going to get full value for them. But I think that's probably the plan. And, and then the thing about that trade deadline trading plan is more if the Brewers are actually contending, which, you know, they have, you know, they have made the playoffs yeah. in the last three seasons. They're, they're certainly right. well that they, they would be in the mix again this year. Um, with the expanded playoffs, especially, and uh, you know, therefore keep Hater one more season. He is under our team control for three more seasons, but I, I think it's right. a foregone conclusion that if not, you know, sometime within the next calendar year ish, like we most likely will trade Hater as a small market team, but you just never know. So, but I just don't think, and like you said, in the next couple of weeks. So, I do believe Josh Hater is going to pitch his last game as a Milwaukee Brewer. So, that's that's something to hang our hat on and be excited about. Um, one thing I yeah i know that well that and if we do hang on to him craig the back end of that bullpen between him and devin williams does look really good it's just 
And I actually think our starting rotation looks decent as well. I think it's just, again, it's a matter of our offense uh, uh, not really being able to, to be relied upon. I mean, we saw some weird numbers last year from guys who were playing in a 60-game season, and I don't know how much of that is real and how much of that is just fluky because of the the, the, the strangeness of 2020. But, you know, will Keston Hero step up and improve his numbers? Will Christian Yelich get back to being Christian Yelich? If so, that's great. Then we should be right about where we were, you know, um, last year, with, given the fact that we did lose a couple guys too. But I, I really am worried that our offense is going to be, you know, putrid if we don't do something here in the next few weeks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that we re-signed Dan Vogel back at a time when we thought that he would – that, that, would, that there would still be a DH this year, which now I'm pretty positive that there won't be in the NL. And so I think that if we even consider playing him at first base, which I think is a defensive mistake, but obviously if he's on a roster, that's the only place he can play. Uh, they'd at least look for a platoon partner with him. He's a lefty bat. We'd have to look for someone right-handed that play first base, I think, to have on the roster. Um, third base is another huge hole. Um, again, there's – we did re-sign uh, Orlando Arcia for our shortstop position. And of course the acquisition we made last off season by trading away Trent Grisham for Luis uh, Urias. And uh, the thought was he'd be our future shortstop. But uh, since Orlando Arcia is still on the roster, I believe that Stearns has stated this off season that it's possible the Brewers could go on to 2021 with uh, Luis as our starting third baseman. So I wouldn't be surprised. Right. He doesn't have a ton of power. I think that it is probably only have like 10 home run, 10 steal type potential. And that's not necessarily, uh, you know, above average for a third baseman, but uh, I do. We think <laughs> no, it's not. In the lineup, though. No, it's good. He's got a, you know, he's, he's still as young. He could still develop. He isn't, he's got an exciting bat, but yeah, power is not really his game. Um, so, I, you know, for me, our offense next year really depends a lot on Dan Vogelbach if that's who we're going to truly go with at first base. I mean, maybe the Brewers see him returning back to form. He was a, an all-star in just 2019. It wasn't that long ago, but, you know, he's had a really bad second half after that. He had a really bad first half last year, and then he had a really good second half again with us. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's tough to rely on a guy like that, but um, maybe that's the plan. Ugh, yeah, it's it's really frustrating because – I don't feel like Dan Vogelback should be in the middle of the uh, major league lineup at this stage of his career, um, maybe toward the bottom if he's a starter at all. So uh, it worries me a little bit if that's our plan, but we shall see. I mean, he did perform somewhat admirably for us going on the stretch last year, but I just don't trust. He hasn't established himself as that type of hitter yet, um, and I don't know if he ever will. I guess one thing for Brewer fans to keep in mind and keep positive about is I think just the return – uh, Lorenzo Kane at the top of our lineup, I think will really, um, and in the locker room and everything, will kind of give us a huge boost to the offense, which we were sorely lacking after Lorenzo Kane opted out for the season last year. So having him back, I think, will, will help the top of the lineup. It'll definitely help Christian Yelich hitting behind him um, and everyone else. I, I do believe Kashin Hira is very close to having a breakout season, whether it be this year or next. I think he's going to be, you know, improving as a young player, a young hitter. Um, and so, yeah, so I really just think if we – one really nice, solid free agent signing as a hitter, as a starter, would be great. And, and obviously I foresee it at first or third base. We've seen pretty sad in the outfield with 
Kane, Yelich, and Avisal Garcia. Um, and, you know, at this point, I know we talked about the last podcast, but it's hard for me with that DH being gone. It may have been the death nail, so to speak, uh, for Brian Braun ever playing another game as a Milwaukee Brewer, which is somewhat sad, I guess. It, it is sad. I mean, I, I still love Brian Braun. I know that, you know, he's, he's, he draws a mixed emotional response from Brewer fans, but, um, you know, I certainly value the fact that he's been a part of so many winning Brewers teams and part of the team's culture and uh, kind of provides that veteran leadership and to a degree. And yeah, I, could he still come back and, and, you know, be a, a bench bat or could he be a guy that, you know, was able to play a little bit in the outfield and a little bit at first base, like we talked about in past seasons. I don't know, but uh, you're right. I mean, taking the, the DH away from the Brewers as an option uh, for 2021 is, is, is certainly not indicative of a likelihood that he comes back. And, uh, you know, if, if we really saw our last game, our last uh, a game of Ryan Braun in a Brewers uniform, you know, back in 2020, it's it's a really sad way for a guy like him to go out. I, I personally hope that that's not the way that he ends his Brewers career, but um, maybe that's what will happen. And I know that David Stearns had mentioned publicly that uh, he's going to take his time uh, and let Ryan Braun kind of work through some things. But, you know, we are, again, we're coming up on spring training pretty fast. And, you know, I think that there's going to have to be a decision made in the near future. And Ryan Braun is going to either have to resign or sign somewhere else or announce his retirement. Um, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I don't think he wants to push it too much longer. No, and for selfish reasons, I, I really um, was hoping Ryan Brown would kind of finish his career as a Milwaukee Brewer and be kind of that being the only uniform he ever wore, rather than that he, whether or not he retires now or if he maybe comes back for one season. I don't think he's he's got too much longer of a career. And so, I don't know. It was, I guess signing him as a bench bat to possibly put two in at first with Vogel back um, or something that wouldn't be terrible, but I just don't know that he can play first base adequately or is even that interested in it. Um, it right. So we'll see. Um, uh, I know he, he began his career as a Milwaukee Brewer as a third baseman, so it sucks that we couldn't put him back there because we would need his bat at third base. But yeah, That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, – I know that was kind of a little dig on Brewer fans because I keep wanting to just make Brian Braun play whatever position that we have needed uh, over the course of the last five years. <laughs> but yeah. um, I know he's already alternated between third base, left field, right field, and, you know, of course, yeah, first base or whatever. But, yeah. you know, I'm personally guilty of that as well. I think I think it's kind of a recognition of Braun just being a good athlete that can generally play, um, you know, multiple positions. He certainly was not cut out to be a, a third baseman at the big league level. Uh given the amount of errors that he put up in essentially a little more than a half season. But yeah, uh, I, I do think he can handle first base, but it remains to be seen if he's even interested. I mean, it's, it's, it's been such a weird year. Here. Yeah. Um, I, he but, seems like the kind yeah. of guy that would only come back if given a starting spot. I don't think he's all that interested well, yeah. in finishing his career as a bench or a platoon guy. So who knows? I don't know that anyone would really offer him that though. Like it's hard for me to look at Ross across the baseball, but you never know. Like, you know, we'll see. He could also be someone who would want to sign with a team, you know, like the Dodgers from the area that he's uh, originally from, right. and and that was a fan of as a kid or whatever. But and just the fact that they have a really good chance of going back to the World Series and kind of getting a ring that way, right? Uh, I, I think that would be the only way he'd be willing to probably be like a benchish bat or whatever. Um, and so I wouldn't be shocked if he's either going to come back as a Brewer, retire, or, or sign out with a team like the Dodgers. I feel so. We'll see. Um, 
But yep. Yeah, no, and then yeah, as far as it's interesting just looking at the guys that we currently have on team because I was like, what would happen if we didn't make any moves? And obviously we're gonna make some, but I mean, looking at our starting offense, like you said, I just mentioned our outfield, but we'd have Urias at third, RC at short, Hira at second, and Volgabach and possible platoon partner at first. That's not that great of offensive. And then catcher would be no more. Omar Narvaez, it seems like we're going to give another shot in spite of his terrible 2020. I, I guess it's worth giving guys a mulligan on 2020 season. I mean, we're, we're giving one to Yelich, obviously. But uh, I, he needs a show yeah. here or he's not long for the Brewers or for major league as a major leaguer. So um, I think – Well, I think, I think that the team – I think that the organization recognizes that too, though, Craig. I mean, look at the number of catchers that we still have within, you know, AAA or at the major league level between Narvaez and Pena – but also Freitas and Nottingham is in the fold. And um, I, I remember that there was one other signing earlier in this offseason. Uh, sorry, the name escapes me, but one of the backup catchers from Pittsburgh. Uh, so, we, you know, certainly David Stearns and Matt Arnold are, are looking at different options. And, um, you know, I think Narvaez may get the first crack at it uh, just because he was brought in in a kind of a, a higher profile trade. And they may just be talking 2020 up as an aberration for everybody who had a bad year. But, um, I think he's on a short leash. Yeah, absolutely. And then real quick, just you mentioned that the guys that we are keeping are, you know, our bullpen seems pretty stacked already. Um, whether or not Freddie Peralta is part of that bullpen where he pitched much better at last in 2020 than he has ever has as a, you know, consistently in the rotation. He might be, people talk about his numbers overall being almost ace-like out of the bullpen. He may be staying there. I don't know. But looking at our rotation, obviously, um, Losing, I mean, coming back kind of toward the top of the rotation would be Brandon Woodruff and uh, Carbon Burns. Hopefully those those young guys are healthy and ready to go. Uh, the rest of the rotation is kind of just filled with question marks. I mean, Josh Limblom really didn't kind of underperform last year and even got, you know, booted out of the rotation. Eric Lauer was someone as part of that same Trent Grisham chain trade coming over for the Padres and he really never got going last year. I, I believe Stearns really has some belief that he still has, you know, some a quality starting pitcher somewhere in there and that he's young enough to figure it out. So I really feel that he may be given a, a spot or at least a long opportunity at the beginning of the season to establish himself as a regular starter um, this year. So, um, and then beyond that, I, again, I don't know what we're doing with Freddie Peralta, whether or not we're leaving him in the bullpen or putting him in the rotation and um, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anyone, but uh, I, I think we definitely need to sign one or two veteran starting pitchers um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, we've, you know, we've kind of passed up the opportunity to sign some guys that I thought maybe the Brewers might've been interested in. I think Lance Lynn has already signed this off season and uh, there've been a number of guys like that. Um, so, you know, I don't know if Stearns is looking or if he thinks he's going to, be able to to kind of go with what he's got um, or if he thinks he needs to address other needs first but you know it's been like radio silence it seems like from the team this year there's really no buzz or anything about <laughs> about anything and I, I know that a lot of that is you know due to the pandemic so it's partially understandable I think that it would be next weekend that's usually the Brewers uh, fan fest for instance and there's obviously that's not taking place so you know we're missing some of the normal kind of markers of the offseason that um kind of kind of make it a little more widely known what the team is trying to do um, or what the game plan might be. And there just, there really just hasn't been much. I mean, the, the lack of Brewers news this offseason has been 
really astounding to me. Uh, but, you know, like you mentioned earlier, it's kind of baseball-wide at this point outside of a, of a handful of teams. So, you know, hopefully we see some action, you know, in the next few weeks and maybe next week when we tape our, our podcast, we'll have some actual news to report. Um, but, you know. That would be good. And uh, the one guy I was forgetting as far as a possible rotation option for us already internally was Adrian Hauser. Again, two years right. ago, he had a pretty good little breakout. Uh, but then last year, 2020, again, he, he, he's someone who needs a mulligan too because he really did not pitch well out of the rotation at all. Um, and so who knows what, what, you know, we, what we have in him either or what his role will be either. So there's a lot of question marks. And I think we really need to send a couple of at least one real solid starting pitcher. And there's some guys out there. I wouldn't be, I'd be pretty interested in even like some reclamation type veterans like uh, Julio Teheran um, or even maybe like a Taiwan Walker or something like that. But as far as like one of those higher name guys on multiple year deal, I, I don't know if that will happen. Um, yeah, I don't think that that's happening, but we'll see. So, so we'll see, but uh, or, yeah. I mean, we do have some really core guys still in the middle of our, you know, of our offense with Kane Yelich and Hira to build around. And, you know, obviously Garcia, I think can be a little bit better than he was last year also. So I don't know. Um, overall, you know, I'm still really excited as a Brewer fan going into the season, but I'm excited. Oh, yeah. One or two, baseball, one or two, yeah. one definitely on offense and one, one big one on the starting rotation, I think. We won't do too much more than that, so I don't think Brewer fans should be expecting the world necessarily. But like TC says, um, uh, that uh, you know possibly we're waiting in the weeds, and we, we could, if one of those guys don't, aren't offered a contract on one year deal, we could we could grab a quality a quality bat to throw in there too. So hopefully that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I think I think it's needed. You know, we should see in the next few weeks. Like like we've said, it's it's fast approaching. I mean, the season is really snuck up on me and I'm, I'm very excited about it. And um, I don't know where you're at with things. And I know that you had COVID back in the day. I, I uh, fortunately have not yet uh, had it, but um, hopefully yeah, these vaccines it. get rolled out. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not looking to do it, but uh, hopefully <laughs> these vaccines get rolled out pretty quick and would love to do it in time for baseball season and if fans are allowed and uh would love to would love to see a live baseball game in person it's like i'm going through withdrawal or something the last game that i went to was uh the nationals dodgers uh, nlcs in 2019 and i'm i'm craving some baseball so yeah very very excited to get back to a live baseball game no i've never been more proud of my son before because he uh my six-year-old i uh, didn't get to go to game last year obviously no one did um and he saw me watching a football game and he looked at the field and he's like, Dad, when can you take me to baseball game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to go to a right. football game. But he, but he saw the sports field, and he was like, yeah, when are we going to baseball? Crying out loud. So anyway, yeah. Good job, um, Good job JJ. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> we're, so we're ready. Up here. We're ready here as well. I, I don't know. Uh, we're, we're trying to get on as many uh, vaccine lists as possible. So as soon as we're eligible, we'll, we'll be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Hopefully, and uh, yeah, we'd love to go to a game with you this year too, Ben. So hopefully, we'll make our way back to Milwaukee as well. Um, oh, absolutely! I can't, couldn't wait to get back to Miller Park. Well, it's like uh, I, I guess it'll be a new field when we get up there, American Family Field. So I'll have to stop uh, referring to it as Miller Park, but that might take a little bit of time. No, nah, not planning doing that. <laughs> well, either way, I cannot. I cannot wait to walk in and. And uh, and look at that field again. So yes, hopefully hopefully soon, uh, sooner rather than later here in 2021. Absolutely. So 
I know all of our listeners will be excited to know that Scott Bartell is still alive and he'll be joining us most likely for our next podcast, we hope. He's doing very well. Yep. So, um, in case anyone was concerned, he has he's been out on the last couple of podcasts, but he's a very, very busy man. Um, very busy off season for for Scott. But uh, anyways, yep, I don't know, before we wrap up here, if you want to mention any of our little um, Twitter, yeah, uh, get yeah, always good to to give a shout out here. If we could uh, get you to follow us, we'd really appreciate it. Brew Crew Review One on Twitter and. Uh, send us any email questions at group crew review podcasts with an S at gmail.com. Uh, I know that Scott is also checking our Facebook page daily as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, stay classy, Wisconsin, and go Brewers. All right, Craig. Have a good one. Happy New Year, everybody. Go Brewers. Do, 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 do.